Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Constructive Criticism. I'm your host, Spencer, and I'm joined by my co-host, a man, a myth, and a legend. The winner of the first MTG Dream Hack. I don't know if that's true, though, but it's amazing. That's not true. <laughs> it's the first MTG Dream Hack on the precipice of the RC seasons. That's right. I'm your champion from, you know, back in June or whatever, forever ago. Three months. So One they- trimester. Mason, you like to start the show by helping people understand people's voices. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm in Utah, so we get hit with the to the west of us. There's actually not a mountain range. The west, the mountain ranges are. I mean, there is one that's just smaller, but we get hit by the uh, California fire smoke, and then we have our own fire smoke. So right now, my allergies are really bad. You guys might hear my voice be pretty sad during the show, but you. You, my friend, I went to Nashville. Talk to me. What what can people expect in, when they visit Tennessee during this time of year? Well, we're finally at the good point in the weather. Today was 69 degrees all day. It's the beginning of the nice weather. But when Spencer was here seven weeks ago, it but, was... Time out. I'm actually mad. You're <laughs> yeah, yeah, telling yeah. me that there is a 30-plus degree difference in seven weeks? Oh, yeah. I actually went for a little stroll today during, like, my 15-minute break at work. I was outside for, like, I don't know, eight minutes or so. This is kind of nice. Did some texting. Went on a little walkie-poo. It was good. But when Spencer came, hot, humid, 100 degrees. I was going to die. I'm actually mad. I'm, like, so mad. Your company – that's why they got such a good deal coming out here. No one comes out here this time of year. (laughs) But, yeah. It's normally pretty miserable during the summer. We just have – the thing about Tennessee is you have every season. You're like winters are cold, not as cold as like Chicago or any place like that, but like they're cold. Your summers are hot and your falls and your springs are nice. So we have every season in Utah too. It's just a little different. We have shorter seasons. We've got what we'll start in first construction season. That's called spring. It's where they do most of the construction work. And then during summer, that gets put on hold until uh, second construction season. That's where most of the roads close again. And it's just when it's bearable to be outside. Then you have winter, which can range. You know, it could be November to March, November to April, November to May, or it could be like, you know, December to May, or it could be like February only. It kind of it kind of ranges Thanks. because of the uh, some stuff. But that's not what the show's about, though, Mason. It is about always improving. You want to be beating, getting better every single week and i want you to go first this week what have you done this week to get better at magic or life in general my always improving moment this week comes from the pioneer format i've been doing a lot of exploring in that format doing a lot of just like trying to figure out how to maximize and build around things uh so specifically there was a lane line binding uh ignamic incarnation i believe is the card's name i it, i don't it's the birthing pod for enchantments I think I'm saying it's name correctly, but it's a very weird name. I believe, so. I believe that is the name of the card. Okay. Yeah, I haven't heard anyone ever say it out loud, so I, I'm kind of like, you know, going by the seats of my pants here. But I, I played that deck a lot, and I was actually doing really well on Moto. I was getting a good amount of 5-0s and innovating and changing the deck a whole bunch and changing and changing and changing. And a lot of that iteration process and sort of like weeding through and actually ended up circling back around way closer to where I started, I think, for I'm going to uh, play at the event this coming weekend. Uh, than where I actually uh, started going to originally. And at first it was like, okay, we have these things. These are pretty good. I think the person who built the deck originally actually misunderstood some of the interactions. And so I took those things out. Then I made the deck a going on deck because it has so many things that flicker. And that was really good. 
And I kind of went down that route, different things there. And then Ultima was like, okay, what if I tried doing this, but I'm 60 cards and then went back that way. And so I think I'm going to end up being somewhere closer to 60 cards, but it was a really good kind of process of understanding like, why is this strong? And like, okay, the Oregon stuff is insanely broken in the mirrors, but like outside of grinding matchups, do I actually like, need to play this much air and kind of afford to versus like maybe I just have to play a bunch of Wrath of Gods in my incarnation deck. So it's been a really interesting process trying to get that sort of down and it was really helpful for like understanding that and good just to kind of go through the whole like, hey, sometimes you start with an idea, you have it, you your idea is pretty good, but it's not actually as good as something else. And so you kind of give that up and move on to the next thing or go backwards, you know? Like, okay, well, I think I made some good changes. They didn't turn out to be good enough or going back, you know, or they're not good for the right reasons at the time, which is often, I think like something you could probably attest to where someone shows you a deck for something in standard or even modern or pioneer. And then it's like, no, like your thing isn't weak, but the context of everything else going on, is just not very good right now. Like you have too many top heavy cards or too many yeah. low end cards. One, I appreciate you saying that. I, I do think that is one of my strengths in magic. We were, we were actually in the cut today, uh, my testing team, and we were talking about Liliana and the four-drop slot, as well as uh, cards for different matchups. And, uh, you know, it's kind of similar to you. I My always improving moment was being able... I, something I'm going to work on, now that I'm on testing team again, is actually being able to explain this stuff. I thought you did, just did a really good job. But, like, being able to explain, like... You know, one of the questions that was asked to me, I said, I think that... Coligan's command is actually in a really good spot in Pioneer, and somebody's like, "Why is that?" I haven't answered it yet in my team chat, but it's like, okay, I need to actually write out and be able to explain why I think that. And I'll say it on the podcast really quickly. I think that one, it's really good in the Liliana mirrors. Um, I think that that's going to be a matchup that's really important. I think two, it's really good against the Abzan Greasefang deck, which is going to be a Liliana mirror. I think that three. It is something that's really good to get back with Bloodthirsty Adversary, which I'm high as a kite on in this deck. I think it is just a better version of Goblin Dark Dwellers. I think that it pressures Liliana when they make you sacrifice a creature on an empty board. I th- like, I think that that plus Colgan's Command is like kind of an answer to a lot of things. And uh, I think three, like Colgan's Command gives you this ability to kind of have like a catch-all type of main deck answer. Like, Nobody really wants to play a mind rot in their main deck, but they but like being able to just pull ahead in the mirror, being able to pull ahead in like grindy games and things like that is going to be really important as we move forward as these Liliana decks become more and more prevalent. And for me, like that is the answer. And for what it's worth, that's how we saw modern play out. Uh, you know, you had Thoughtseize, Coligan's Command, Liliana. If anybody was like on old versions of the deck that weren't playing Coligan's Command for that short time where that happened, they just got left in the dust. And I, I don't expect that to be any different in this format. And that was kind of my always improved moment is like, you just were able to articulate, how do I talk about scaling, right? I think scaling is something we don't talk about in Magic enough. Yeoman 5, I don't, does he prefer that or Aaron? I actually don't know. I think he prefers Yeoman. Okay. But yeah, I, Yeoman, I don't think it's a big deal. Yeah, Yeoman in our Discord actually did a really good job of talking about this in in talking about breaking serve. And I think there are kind of like two steps to these type of questions. The one that you're presenting, which is this like big, large picture thing. And then the one that I'm presenting, which is like what happens before that. And there's this thing that magic players don't do enough about, which is understanding how the games will scale. 
I don't know that I've ever really talked about that with somebody. And maybe it's something I need to work on. There might be a good episode. I think a good example of this, by the way, in case like listeners are trying to get the idea, uh, and it's kind of being solved right now, so it's unclear to me the right answer on it, and maybe, you know, have a conversation here. Shieldred actually in Red Black is like the new like innovation over the weekend. And that's an example of like, okay, this card kind of leans in the aggressive a direction that Hazard was by like pressuring your opponent's life total, but also helps stabilize you. And it's just kind of a keyword big. And so, like, that's kind of the new, like, oh, like, how does this change things? Yeah. Like, that plus Bloodthirsty Adversary seems really strong to me if, like, you didn't want to go Hazorite. You know what I mean? Like, kind of a, a, mid, a mid-step. This whole conversation that I'm talking about in my Discord started because I thought Shieldred was five mana. I was like... Oh, sure. I was like, you can't convince me that a five mana do-nothing creature is good in the, in the Liliana Mirror. And they're like, well, it's four mana. I was like, oh, you can convince me this card's good in the Liliana Mirror. <laughs> and I have a lot of reasons why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keyword big is big. It's also, it's funny, it's like, she's really good against Treasure Cruise, which is, like, less important these days in Pioneer, but also the Treasure Cruise deck plays Lightning Axe, which is, like, the one card of the format that cleanly answers her. So it's a really funny dynamic. Yeah, we're (laughs) going to talk about Sheldred a little bit later in the episode because we are doing Mm -hmm. a Patreon mailbag episode. Uh, Mason, did you happen to see the thumbnail for this episode? Because I was told I had to talk about it. It, it was the mailbox from Blue's Clues, right? Oh my gosh, I'm going to lose a bet with my wife. You knew what it was. I had a yeah. different thumbnail. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I showed the title on the thumbnail, and my wife was like, you have to use the Blue's Clues mailbox. And I was like, okay, I put it on the screen, and my daughter, my one-year-old daughter, lit up and just started mm-hmm. like humming the tune. <laughs> I was like, well, now I just have to, I can't change it now. Yeah, you're locked in. You're priced in. Uh, we don't have any Patreon channels this week, but I really want to quickly talk about just one. Like, the Discord has grown so much this year, and just the overall growth of the podcast this year has been something that I got to talk to Mason and uh, Abe about this, I don't know, last this last week. And Mason, it has been one, this is one episode after my one year uh, to return mm-hmm. to the show. And... I think we built a similar community to what we had before in like pre pandemic. And I couldn't be more happy. I wanted you to talk about it. If you had a second. Yeah. It's been really sick to kind of see it grow. And it was an interesting uh, time during the pandemic for CC and like a lot of ways, you know, one of those ways is just like, and I don't think it's like a, a secret ever, but like the kind of things we kind of preach and talk about typically kind of lean more towards like people who are aspiring to play on these circuits and local things and that sort of stuff. And we're not, we're not trying to be, nor are we like, like Dominaria's judgment or arena decklist. Like we're different than those guys. And we kind of have some stuff that's more targeted towards improving and that sort of thing, which is really hard to want to improve on something when there aren't events to do, right? Like there are moto challenges, but like that's kind of hard and takes like your whole day and it isn't as much fun for a lot of people, you know? And there's there was some stuff, but there wasn't really. And even the people who did that stuff kind of fell off the wagon a little bit during COVID. And we're still in COVID, obviously, but one of the interesting things that's happened since events started coming back up and the Patreon's getting more and more active, it correlates directly actually around the time that you came back to the show. Because, uh, I mean, you came back to the show about a month and a half before the first paper tournament was back again which was the SCG um, Invitational. Yeah. So it's been really interesting to see it grow with that over time. Yeah, there was like a huge snowball. Like, I quit before the pandemic. I don't know, like, 
what was it? One month? It might have only. It might be one month on both sides to, for what it's worth. Yeah, I think I won the PTQ, and Matt was like on the episode yeah. that was like the last episode with the PTQ with me. Can it's so it? funny because like I think that one of the things that you talked about is really key. There were things, right? There were nuggets during the pandemic, whether it was the SEG online stuff, whether it was the, I don't know, like you know, the, some of the mythic of mythic qualifiers and stuff like that but it was not it was not something that people saw as like i want to do this thing and now we have this like path that people see and i'm really glad to see it grow and happy to see people participating again if you want to participate in that group see the things that we're going to talk about today you want to participate in one of these mailbag episodes I don't know that we'll ever do another Patreon mailbag episode that's public. So, like, this was your chance to get in. But we will do them again as Patreon-only episodes. Um, and this is your chance to kind of hear what they will sound like. Let's go to yep. some housekeeping really quick, Mason. GG Lehigh. We have been posting slowly trickling in GG Lehigh video content onto our YouTube. It's been crushing it. I've been doing the coverage. We'll do coverage for them as long as they'll let us, whether it's me, whether it's you and Abe, whether it's me, you and Abe, like the GG Lehigh stuff is not going away. Uh, the other game grids also want to get involved now. And I just want to say, holy crap, what an amazing group of listeners that we have that have been shopping there. You have to be US based. So I'll, I'll be transparent there. But thank you. Thank you to the listeners for trusting us. On what I believe is just an amazing shopping experience. If you have Shopify on your phone, it actually connects to Shopify right now. And they're, they just really know what they're doing. They have an entire warehouse upstairs. They have so much that they're doing. And I really appreciate that. And, you know, so much of our thanking them has been about the sponsorship and the content. But I see the listeners buying cards and... It's a transparency that we didn't get with our last sponsor that we get now. And it, it means a lot to me, especially because when you use the code CCMTG10, you get 10% off. And that comes back to us. If you use the link in the show notes, it's a referral link. It comes back to us, Mason. Like, come on. You're just helping the show. Where are you buying your cards if you're not helping the show, Mason? Nowhere. That's right. That's the only place to go. So thank you so much to everybody who's been doing it. Uh, it means it means a lot to us. So I have an admission to make, Mason. I'm the one that made it, so we didn't have a date for the open to announce today. I had some personal issues come up, but we will be doing a standard open, and it will be announced on the next podcast. That's right, next podcast. You peel your ears open if you got them folded for some reason or stitched together. You know, you're a stitch supplier, and we will give you a date where you can play standard for GG Lehigh credit plus some cash. With that being said, let's go into the mailbag. Only Patreon questions. I didn't even need to go to Twitter, Mason. Do you know why? Our patrons are booming. They're booming! They're booming! That being said, Nick asks, what is your second choice to play in Modern and Pioneer? Mason, I'll let you go first. Yeah, I feel like let me answer this one on the Discord. So my second choice for modern would probably be 
It depends. So if I'm if I'm trying to win the tournament, I'm not allowed to play four color. I probably play Merc Tide. If I'm playing just for the enjoyment of stuff, I'm probably looking at Amulet Titan, Breach, Yogmoth, or Goblins. I think Goblins is actually low-key kind of goaded with the sauce right now, as the kids would say. And uh, I'm actually writing about that this week from article. And then Pioneer, I think my number one choice is Monogreen Devotion. I think it is the best deck right now by a pretty reasonable margin, but not like anything astronomical. Like, I don't think anything should be banned, for example. Like, I think it's really good, but I don't think it's bannable. And I think you can beat it, but if you beat it, there's like a weird metagame thing going on. So if I had to pick another deck, it'd be the Incarnation deck in Pioneer, I think. I think that deck actually has a lot of really strong things going for it, and it has the rare accomplishment of having a good green and a good red-black matchup which has been a, a really weird uh, choke point in the format before, where it's like, yeah, you can play some any aggro deck, right? And you're going to beat the modern green deck a fair percentage of the time to a good percentage. And then good luck beating red-black, you know? And that has been a kind of a, a choke point there. Um, and then, like, Spirits kind of does that, but then loses to all the other aggro decks. And then, like, it's kind of only 50-50 against red-black. But the Incarnation deck beats those two. And then if you can build it to beat the aggro decks, you can maybe get somewhere. So that'd be my, my two choices. I don't know about you. Well, I'd like to challenge you on the spirits one. And in fact, I will literally do a, you can play the mono blue spirit side, but I, I with something we had talked about doing on the show was doing a constructed clash when we disagreed. Mm-hmm. And I will challenge you that mono blue spirits has an almost unwinnable matchup against like, blue red and mono red aggro and almost probably heroic too so if, if you think that's, it's 50 50 i would be I, I said it's 50 50 against red black oh oh i might have misheard you i'm sorry yeah 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 drop, the, the, drop the, the challenge the, i was like whoa, whoa i'm gonna have whoa. the easiest stuff ever yes i'm gonna let you play spirits <laughs> yes spirits spirits beats green and then 50 50 is red black maybe a little less so now with liliana actually like that was the experience before, and then the problem no, was I, I ever the deck enough, of the format I think they have enough two mana counter spells to like really still punish you. Well, sure. I mean, I, I think it also depends on how you build your red black deck because, like, yeah, if your red black deck is low on four drops, then it's going to be a lot easier. But then if they're higher, it's going to be a lot harder. Well, well something I noticed, and we can talk about this, and then I'll answer the question: is that Dreadbore is so much worse against spirits than the instant speed removal in Explorer. And this actually came mm-hmm. up in our team discussion today, which was Grease Fang. It was like the instant speed was so much better against Grease Fang than Dreadbore was. And it, mm-hmm. it almost makes me wonder, like, are there enough Planeswalkers to warrant Dreadbore anymore? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm actually willing to test it. I think Modern Green Devotion, as long as it's a big player, kind of like forces you to play some Dreadbore. Maybe not as, like, a bunch, but, like, I think you have to have at least a Dreadbore to kill a card sure. or whatever, or Kiora. Sure. But, yeah. I love that. Also, Leyline Binding, I think that's one of its strengths, is that it, like, can stop things like Grease Fang. Like, there is no good instant speed removal. I think you're yeah. right about that. No, I... So, I, that's still in a few cards. I love that. I love that a lot. So, really quickly, Mason, we actually did answer this, pod- this on a podcast, but I loved the question mm. so much, and there was a whole new... Set introduced that I introduced the question again. So, no, I it's good. I I, I like the question. I, I think that this was a question we answered every like two months in the podcast. It'd be fine. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah, I agree. Just be uh, like cool. So I'm going to answer this question really interestingly. Be, my old and I'll be really transparent because this is a question I get a lot. Spencer, how do you play every deck? Well, I had a sponsorship with Oasis Games that allowed me to just take cards from Oasis's inventory and play any deck I wanted. I don't have that anymore. 
my sponsorship with Game Grid is great. It's actually way better, and I'm not complaining. But now I have to consider my own card collection. I have boxes of cards. We actually talked about that a few episodes ago. And for me, this changes this question for me, and I, I think the listeners can relate to that. I have a really good team that will help me get modern. I can play any deck I want in modern tomorrow. My first choice would be, I think everybody knows, Tide. I believe that it's basically Jund. Like, it is old school Jund. We had a really long conversation with a few teammates about how if you don't understand how it's Jund, you don't understand Jund. Uh, it, it's it's Jund. I, I said the same word five times, and I feel like that's bad podcasting. But also, I'm really trying to bring this home. The deck is Jund. It is literally the deck. My second choice right now will not surprise people if they know me personally, but will surprise you if you know Modern. I think my second choice in Modern right now might be Team Escape Shift. Did you see the SCG results? No. Don't don't spoil them for me. Can it, I look? It went undefeated through the Swiss and lost in the finals to Ross Merriam. Yeah, I think that deck... I did not see that before I answered this question, but... I'm so mm-hmm. glad to hear that. I actually think that Teamer Shift is, like, super well-positioned. It'd be interesting to see what you think about this one. It does not look like... It does not look like... Like, when I heard Teamer... No. When, when I heard Teamer Escape Shift, I had a... I mean, like, we put it, I had an image put of what it would be. I'll look at it later during this episode. Yeah, I'll find it real quick. For Pioneer, this is where things get interesting. I own Spirits in Pioneer... I believe that you cannot beat Red Black with this deck. I also believe that if you're going to an RCQ, Red Black will be a deck that you have to beat. Which is sad. I, I think that Spirits is like a top five deck in Pioneer, but has such a bad matchup against the first place deck that you can't play it to win an event. So like if you were going to an open, I would say play Spirits. I actually believe that like if you have like a a 1k or a 5k or a 10k spirits is a great choice if you have an rcq you should not play that deck my first place deck is black red i believe that black red has reasonable matchups it is also like the gen deck but my second place deck is actually the green red ramp deck that i've been touting for a long time i personally have multiple four ones in leagues i don't know that i've trophied yet on mtgo but, yeah, I think that green-red Eldrazi ramp is underrated. It has a buy in the black-red matchup. It's favored in the mirror against mono-green. I mean, we have we have a one of our patrons actually has been playing this since I posted my initial list, has had great results, and uh, that would be my second choice. So, Marquise says, Mason claimed that chicken is the goat of the land. What's your favorite Land animal to eat. Land animal to eat. It has to be. If you said chicken already. No, but no, 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 no. But chicken can be the goat, but not my favorite. Like, like I can say Jordan's I, the goat. I actually, but... I actually, can I just, can I, I'll go first, actually. I just disagree no, you with your statement. It's in everything. Chicken's everywhere. Hold on. I, so, I, while I agree, I actually think that pork is underrated. I think that we don't utilize pork enough. One, pigs have, like, Oh man, I'm gonna drop some agriculture knowledge on you. Pigs have you sound like Nikola Tesla. Oh, oh dude, I, pigs have so many kids, like seven to thirteen kids. So 
chickens do not lay that many. Dude, dude, hold on. Time out. Mason, Mason, I'm dropping some. Look up. I'm listening. I'm listening. Look up. What is this? Why Why do you have a little ribbon? This is literally a second place FFA ribbon for raising pigs. Like literally. Did, did you get that? Yes. I won okay. that. So, I didn't, maybe didn't have it. I don't know. No. Uh, also, okay. I work in the agriculture industry now, so pigs underrated. One, there's so many reasons. Oh man, I'm about to go off. Pork belly, pork belly, not bacon. Pork belly is the literal most delicious meat. Picked up seven kids. Sorry, that really killed me. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a good point. It's just very funny to me no, for some reason. How many? It's like so. Eggs, chickens will lay like. Oh man, I used to know this. But you like they're not all fertilized. Like oh man, all the vegetarians are about to come after me. Here here's the thing. Pork by cost is the best meat and it's not close. Also, just this year, I bought a you know what a tomahawk steak is, right, Mason? Oh yeah. I bought the equivalent of that in pork. Okay. I just for me, because I have cooked them before. I made it for my wife. She took one bite and said, that's not pork. He's like, what do you mean? She's like, that's the most delicious thing I've ever eaten. It's not pork. I was like, it is pork. It is actually a pork chop on the bone. And it's the best pork chop on the bone. And I, I think that people, uh, we had a patron. Actually, it's, it might be one of our like top patrons ever was a chef. And we had this debate uh, in the old CCMTG family one time. Uh, pork chops by price per taste, if you want to invent a metric, they're the best meat. It's not It's not close. So while chicken, yes, is great, the problem that I have with chicken is, one, I think they have a great replacement in mushrooms. I think that if you're a vegetarian, you want something similar. It tastes similar. You could cook it similarly. Mushrooms are great if you, but like turkey bacon doesn't taste like bacon. There's nothing that tastes like pork. And also a huge reason that we didn't explore pork more as a species is like religious. And yeah, I I think pork is just the greatest. I, I don't even think it's close. Well, I clearly said chicken was the goat, so you must be wrong. But uh, no, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what my favorite one to eat. I was kind of thinking about that too. While I was listening to you. I think my favorite land animal to eat would probably. Dude, I, I went to a barbecue house with you. What was your order? Oh, I got. Uh, I can't remember now. I know what it looks like too. That's so funny. <laughs> I think it was. A, I mean, I think it's a pork thing from the way you're talking. But uh, dude, we both ordered pork. Yeah, I ordered the turkey at, because at Trey, former coast of the show, told me to, and then we both ordered pork. Yeah, yeah, that that's good. You ordered pork I, ribs. Or no, did I? Was it not pork ribs? What no, was? no, that was Andrew who ordered pork. Oh, uh, you're right. That was Andrew. I, I got the uh, the platter, Edley's platter, but I forget what the meat on it is. It is pork. I'm pretty sure. I'll look it well, up. I, I'm pretty sure you got pork. Here, here's the thing, man. No, no one's saying pork isn't good. I want to know your goat though. Like tomorrow. That's what I'm trying to think of. So hold on, Mason. I invite you to Utah tomorrow. I say 
We're going to the butcher. I, you can pick your meat. What are you picking? Well, that's a different question in the show. So what's your favorite deli meat? It's two down. Well, that's... No, the butcher does not serve you deli meat. That's a deli. <laughs> nice try. You can't trick me. Uh, let's see. Oh, blow him up, YouTube. Mm. Blow him up. I don't know. I'm going to just go with cow. Dude, that's a like, great answer. Do you, I, yeah. ground, ground beef is great. Steak yeah. is great. I, I think that's a great answer. For what it's worth, chicken was a great answer, too. I was just challenging you. Yeah, I, I think chicken just gets used a lot. And it gets used a lot of different ways. And, you know, it's lean, mean fighting machine. So. Dude, I, I, think, I think for what it's worth that, like, turkey is going up my power rankings. Like, I, I, I made a joke about bacon, right? But, like, turkey bacon's pretty good, so... Yeoman says, how do you go about assessing uh, a format like the current standard? It looks methodical, but is in fact made up of a bunch of competing pressures. Liliana, Meat Massacre, Sheldred, Invoke Justice, Wedding Announcement, Voltage Scourge. You can't just simply hard target the format in a traditional sense. So I actually have an answer to this. I'll go first. There are kind of a couple ways that I like to think about this. I actually think that Yeoman, for what it's worth, is good at some of these. One, you've got you've got options. Can you look at a format in the form of macro archetypes, right? Whether it's tempo, control, mid-range, aggro, ramp, stuff like that. If you can, there's a part of the curve that I like to be on, right? And for me, that's the ramp part. Is actually where I am in this standard format. And then the other part that I like to be on is, is mid-range. Now, if you're in the mid-range slot and you have this problem, that's a different question, right? Like, that's like, well, what can I do to solve? And, and it feels like, for what it's worth, that Yeoman, Mason Kirkman, wrong, is coming at it from the mid-range perspective. Yeah, he's talking about, like, a monolithic format, so it sounds like he's trying to figure out yeah. how to do that sort of thing, so... I, I think that'd be my assessment. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep going. No, no, no. I, I was just saying, I, I agree that from the way the question's sounding, it kind of sounds like that might be where he's coming from, even though that's not the answer to the question he wants. You know what I mean? Sure. And to me, like, I think there are two things. Um, and we kind of talked about it last week where it, to me, uh, I tried uh, after our episode w- was the things that I tried after our episode, I should say, are one I tried ramp decks because I wanted to go above things, but I didn't want to go above like the Naya deck that we talked about on last week's episode. Go back to that episode to hear about that. I wanted to be like, I mean, let's be honest. I wanted to storm the festival, Mason. And then two, it was like, okay, well, what can I do to be under that? And the place that I landed that was still good, that was like insane late game really good mid-range, really aggressive, was like Liliana, Wedding Announcement, uh, Asper. And so you're like, well, Spencer, how does that work? Like, is your mana good enough to be Asper? And it's like, well, here's the thing. The mulligan rule is aggressive. So make your deck aggressively. Those are the two places that I found success in the standard format. But I do think that it is about, we talked about it during the episode, scaling. Like, where do I want to scale? Do I, do I want to scale from early to late? Do I want to scale from mid to big? Like, where do I want to hit the scale? And that, I think, is the answer to this question. The way that 
I typically because like it, it, there's a bunch of different like ways to go about these things, right? But specifically with what Yeoman's saying about like how do I go about assessing a format that looks like it is solved, right? Like there, there's like a thing that's trying to go happen with it being that way, with being monolithic. And the answer I typically is is specifically for a format like standard, right? Which is what this question's about. The card pool's so small, it's really easy to just be like, okay, what's going on and what are weaknesses? What are their potential weaknesses to this other card? And can I find stuff to exploit that? So like, I think a good example of this uh, is kind of like the Naya deck that Spencer talked about, that we talked about last week, where like, all you need to really know is that their big topping card Sanctuary Warden, right? So it's this big card, generates a lot more cards, really hard to kill, bigger body than everything that's kind of going on in a lot of those decks. Big, that's the thing. That's how you're going to go over top of them. And so like, that's kind of how I typically look at these sort of things, is I will go about trying to find some axis that I can pressure and beat them on. And sometimes there aren't things like that, right? Like you play Wilderness Reclamation and the only thing you can do is like go hyper under them and play things like Mono Black or just like have a bunch of cards for the mirror. But currently with like how fresh standard is, I think it's still worth like looking at, okay, how can I beat these sort of things head face up? And I think once you, once something gets to the point where it's kind of like Reclamation was in its format, where it's just the baseline. At that point, you have to start doing a lot of what Spencer's saying, which is like going really big. We're going really, like like figuring out where you need to be on like a fundamental strategy level. And I think until that stuff gets defined, playing individually strong cards is fine. I do think probably with this being week three of standard, what I'm saying is starting to fall off and you need to much more be like, okay, you've had your time to kind of boot camp, get your strategy in line. So. Well, I'll, I'll add to what your answer was, because one of the cards that he mentioned is Invoke Justice, right? Which is like, okay, well, that's bigger than everything Mason just said and what Spencer just said, right? And it's like, well, sure, but I'm trusting that Gruul, Mono Red, uh, something that I thought about today, I, I was just looking at the cards. I was like, you know, Mono White actually doesn't seem that bad. Like, you have to trust that Red Black can downgrade itself to be fast enough. Or mono black, right? Mono white. I'll be honest. I have not looked at the challenge results because I was starting a new job and had the flu. Did werewolves not top eight yet? Because like that could be fast. Oh, I think it's the cut down problem, but I'll double check. It does, the same challenge. You know, that's true. That's true, and that's where like things like mono black or, or stuff like that keep it down. But there there are answers to the really big problem, but it it. In formats like this, it feels like it's week to week, right? Where right now, if people are trying to beat red, black, mid range, I don't know. I almost like your answer of Naya. Like, I'm a huge fan of Storm of the Festival right now. I think that it is faster than enough decks, outclasses enough decks, and you basically just lose to like opposing Sentinels. Or wait, is that the name of the angel? Uh, Sanctuary Warden is the six Wardens, drop. Thank you, Wayne, Wardens. That, that's kind of where I would land, but it's there's a lot going on. Like, that's a good standard format, though, right? Like, it means that there's going to be ebb and flow things to do in the format. So, I think that's a really good question, Yeoman. Yeah, I think once you... The, the, the one last thing I said. Once you kind of know... Once you do what I've said, or what I was talking about, where, like, you know how things interact, then at that point, standard, like, in case someone's like, okay, but what happens when the format's not new? It then becomes knowing when to move towards those things and do that. So that's all I was going to say, is that eventually becomes, like, all right, pick your week kind of game. So Yeah, which is basically modern, which people love. So Kyle says, what's your favorite slice of deli meat? 
I have an easy answer for this. Uh, it's actually chicken. I actually really love sliced chicken. Um, the goat. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, it would not be my thing for breakfast or things like that. Like, I think that, like, if you want, like, the goat of deli meats, it's obviously ham. But sliced chicken, if you can get it, it does not last long, is unreal. Poultry just doesn't last long. You can't, like, open that and leave it around like you can with other deli meats. Yeah, ham is my answer. Yeah, I mean... I, I don't do a lot of sliced deli meats. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I think I think ham is, like, it lasts forever compared to other deli meats, and it is... It's good for breakfast. It's good for lunch. You can use it for dinner. Like, it's good. It's good in every meal. Doug Bear says, what process would you guys use for making or tweaking these existing deck lists? Sorry. Like, how do you know what changes to make? And how do you go about the process of cutting and adding cards? And I guess the follow-up question, how do you go about building sideboards? Mason, I'll let you go first. Sure. So I probably best... I think maybe take these as two questions here. So let's talk about how we're going to build decks and we'll circle back around to your sideboard thing. So for the process of like making tweaks to an existing deck list, the first thing that I kind of look at is like, okay, is there anything that's like clearly kind of raw? Because like a lot of times, especially when decks first coming up, there are things that are maybe not going to stand the test of time. They're kind of obvious. And sometimes these things are like as obvious as like, oh, this person maybe didn't understand this interaction. Like, I saw someone have a bunch of five drops in an Ignamic Incarnation deck with their only force being Ignamic Incarnation. But it can't leap itself. It can only leap another one. So I was like, okay, I think they misread the card and they thought it could leap itself if that's all they had. So they put some fives in to have a one-card combo, right? And I was like, okay, maybe that wasn't the case, but if not, this is still kind of awkward. So I'm going to trim on the fives, right? So like that's one example of like looking at, okay, things like that. But then bigger picture, it's like, okay, I'm going to make a tweak to an existing deck list why am I making it and make sure that it makes sense coherently what the deck is doing. And I think one thing along those lines is making sure that I'm not moving the deck to be a worse version of another deck, which is something that happens all the time in magic. And it's really easy to do where it's like, Oh yeah, I'm like playing this, you know, let's say Jun strategy, right. And modern, and I'm going to change these cards. And I'm going to play while, uh, you know, the delirium cards, I'm going to play traverse and I'm going to have to get grief and fury. And it's like, okay, is that actually better? And am I making tweets to something that is actually helping what the deck is trying to do? Slash, am I moving the deck in a direction that's actually helpful for it winning? Uh, and that's how I kind of start going about that process of like, okay, am I making changes that actually help fix this deck's game plan or play the kind of games it wants to be playing? Because sometimes decks will want to play diverse game plans where they want to have like a lot of different answers and different options. And you want to make sure that you have cards that enable that. I think a good example is four color. Even though the in the beginning and the end stages always look the same, the middle is there's a lot of flexibility there. And so you would have a lot of flexibility in your cards. Whereas with a deck like, let's say, Burn or Goblins, I want to have more things that are redundant that enable my combo. So for like Goblins, I want to have more skirt prospectors now that we have the new Lord that draws cards. And I want to be able to combo more efficiently. So when I'm making changes to Goblins, which is something I've been doing this week, I'm trying to make sure that I'm moving the deck in that direction that seems actually more powerful and less like, oh, grindy attrition because I have a new card that does that. I don't think I need as many elements for that. So that's like some examples that are kind of like trying to put in action. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, for me, I'll go back a little, but I, I want to talk about the process, which is kind of your question. I kind of have a flowchart for this in a lot of ways. One, the first step in my flowchart is 
Do you have experience with this deck slash archetype, whether that be macro or whether it be micro, like on this level of this format? If I don't have any experience, I'm going to copy a challenge list and I'm going to play it first. Literally card for card. And I will not make a change till I've done that. If I do have experience, I'll then ask myself the question, do I understand the format? If I do, I will then consider making a change or say, I agree with this list and I want to try it. Sorry, this flowchart is going to get really big. <laughs> um, the next part is, if I do want to make a change, I want to ask myself, what changes do I make? What matchups does this help? What matchups does this hurt? And kind of go from there. And it, it kind of branches out. And uh, I think a really good example of this was Red Black for me recently, where I needed to get into Pioneer. I wanted to switch off of Mono Green because of some specific things, where like I thought there was dog crap against spirits. And then I wanted to also like have a deck that I thought could win an RCQ without having to play a bunch of Mono Green Mirrors. So I ended up on Black Red. In doing that, Michaela, one of my favorite people, you should follow her at Mythic Michaela, uh, won her RCQ. Abe had been working on the deck. And so I talked to both of them, like, what, what did you like about your deck? What are you doing? What are you thinking about this deck? Uh, and I came to a deck list that I, I'm pretty proud of. I'm positive it's in the Discord. And those changes came from, one, I played a lot of gen decks. Two, I've played a lot of Pioneer and Explorer. Three, I have a pretty good idea of where I want to be in the Pioneer format. Meaning, like, if I'm going to play a mid-range deck, whether that be Mono Green or, which in my opinion is a mid-range deck, you can argue it's a combo deck or whatever, or Black Red, I know where I want to be. And because of that, I knew which cards I wanted to tweak, where I wanted to be in specific matchups. Um, and I've, I've had really good success in Explorer. And also, I have a bunch of 4-1s on Magic Online. Like, enough 4-1s that, like, I paid for some builds. Like, I, I think that the answer to this question and the process of, like, adding and cutting cards has to do with format knowledge. Like, or archetype knowledge. Like, I could jump into a... Mason, I don't know if you've sent me this yet. Did you send me the the teamer deck? You did. I bet I could look at that deck and tell you exactly what I would do to that. But also, that's the most played deck maybe in the history of Magic for me, right? Like, I've I played an inappropriate amount of teamer's game shifts. And you have to be honest with yourself. Because if you lie to yourself and you're like, I know better than this person... You're, you're going to make mistakes. And, like, a really good example of this is I, w I made a bunch of changes to white-black uh, in standard. And then the second I switched to Derek's list in standard, I was like, I started to win. I was like, clearly, I'm a bad white mage. Like, I don't understand how white adds to my mid-range plan. I went too big. This person understood it more. And you have to really be honest. So that would be my answer. One last thing I'll say on this too before maybe going on is also know why you're making tweaks. Like, 
are you trying to build a deck for this weekend versus like understand standard and get ready for a big format, you know, coming up? And like if you're building like let's say you had, for example, the RC, right? Let's pretend it was standard. And it was this standard format and it was happening in November still. It's like, okay, well, knowing the best build of red black right now does not help you for the RC because so much time will pass, right? But figuring out for this weekend and building for that is super important. So knowing why you're doing everything you're doing to add on to everything I think is super important. Now, part two of your question, Doug, was in the follow-up, I guess, is how do you build sideboards? And I, I think that it obviously does matter because tweaking happens a lot with sideboards. But I think a lot of times with sideboards, it's trying to solve holes with your deck and fix problems. And there's a lot of different ways to go about doing that, right? So there could be like that kind of hammering a problem out, right? We think of cards like Stony Silence, Rest in Peace. Those are hammers that like fix a matchup, quote unquote. Um, and then there are like things that are kind of more like duct tape, which are like, oh, you can have maybe some spell pierces or you might have a, you know, some like soft interaction or a card like uh, wear tear that like solves a little bit of a problem, but doesn't fix the matchup, right? And there's a lot of different ways you can go about doing that. And so when it comes to building a sideboard, I'm really looking at, like I mentioned before, what is my deck trying to do and then build towards that and then make sure that I can actually win fights I'm trying to fight over and make sure I'm not moving my deck in a direction that's too antithetical to what it's trying to be. And so I think that's really important. So like a good example might be that, hey, if my deck is not ever, ever, ever going to beat, you know, let's say Dredge, for example, and Dredge is the only graveyard deck, I need to make the choice of like, can I win if I have rest in peace versus like, do I need to just have no cyborg cards for that? If I put hit a dredge player, I hit a dredge player and then move on. And, you know, we've seen that kind of happen with Belcher and decks like it in modern for four color players where originally they tried to play cards to stop it. And I was like, we, we can't win. It just, no matter what we do, we can't win. If you play Belcher, you beat us. Congratulations. I'm going to take care of these other matchups that need solving. And there's a bunch of different ways to build sideboards and go about that sort of thing. And it really, matters for your deck and the way you're trying to approach the matchup. So I know that that's kind of like a lot of like different ways to do it without actually answering the question. But I think the question is so contextually dependent that I, all I can do is give you a bunch of small answers uh, personally. So what about you, Spencer? I'm a little surprised by my answer. I have a really specific recommendation for everyone listening to this podcast. And I think that this was the moment that I understood building a 75 the best. Uh, it is easily my most read magic article. It was the best deck in standard was the title. And it was about green red devotion back in Theros standard. It was pro tour testing. And it was myself, Casey Bloodworth, Quentin Pierce, and cut teammate Vinnie Gorman. And we tested best of tens ten we, we played a hundred matches with green red uh in the second and third day of this testing for this pro tour and what i understood in that was building a 75 and not only building a 75 but understanding what that meant and my recommendation is really weird for this i think that you should pick a format with some friends and i think that it should be multiple friends it should be a literal find four people that want to do this. I, I actually think that it's really valuable and literally do that. Find 10 matchups, whether it's modern, whether it's pioneer, whether it's standard, whatever it is, and literally lay down and write out 
a sideboard and have flex spots. So like, here's your main deck, here's your sideboard, here are the flex spots, how do we build a 75, and do it for three days. You're like, Spencer, that's a huge commitment. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It also will teach you how to do this more than anything else that I could, could possibly suggest. I think it, it changed my entire approach to magic. If there are any questions, DM me. But like, I think that the problem that people have with sideboards is they look at it as a secondary deck because that's how it's viewed for a lot of people. But that is, that's just not true. It is an extension of your deck. And you have to understand, like, what am I trying to beat? What am I... We, we talk about this a lot, Mason, where, like, we're like, oh, you're... I mean, you even talked about it in your answer. Like, I'm ignoring this thing. And so it's like, okay, well, if, if, if you have 10 decks and number nine is a bad matchup, like, number nine on your rankings, like, who cares? Like, fine, you lose to number nine. A lot of it, too, is, like, if you're playing a deck, does your deck have a good matchup versus everything? And in bigger formats, too, you're just going to have some polarizing matchups. You know, you're like the bigger things get, uh, it's going to be hard to like av- have matchups that are all at least tenable in a way that maybe standard does, right? Where it's like, yeah, there's some win, f- there's a fringe combo deck, whatever, but for the most part, everything's even ish. It's like, okay, how do we figure it out? But in like older formats, sometimes you just can't solve the problem. Well, not easily, right? Without giving up other spots. And it becomes like, like what would you say? I'm building a deck at whole. Having the spot where I'm weak is fine because I'm building my deck, which is 75 cards, for like these things. And then when you kind of play those games, whatever, you figure out where you want your cards, and then you're able to like save space in your sideboard and yeah. know where the spots go and etc. Mason, you might know the answer to this question. What is my day two GP percentage with Naya Escape Shift? I have no clue. You do. You were both of those GPs. I guess it's two. 100%. Is 100%. <laughs> Mason, you also might know why I played Naya. Uh, if I thought for a long time, I'm sure I could remember the conversation. It, it is literally Leyline of Sanctity. I just wanted to be oh, able sure. to ramp into Leyline even if I drew it. It was, one, Nahiri was really good at just going and grabbing a Titan, like, and mm-hmm. people weren't prepared for it. And two, I just get to cast my Leylines, which is busted, right? Because, like, otherwise they're just dead draws and what's so funny is leyline is the perfect example of this question okay if you if you have a problem right you define your problem for your sideboard that your main deck can't answer what what is the solution and you have to find that solution and then be okay with the answer if you're not okay with the answer and there's no solution you need to either pass on the deck or pass on the sideboard options, right? Like, there's not like a, there's not like an in-between, right? Like, you only have 75 cards unless you're Mason to work with. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much space to give. I mean, like, obviously, your decks have 20 more cards, but, like, you really only have, like, most of the time, 13 more spells unless you have utility lands. So, like, you can only do so much, so. Thoughts on entering events with the explicit pers- purpose of scooping to friends to help them win. So I, I think that this is an interesting question. One, in the US, this isn't as big as a problem because we only get one invite per person. But I think we should get three. 
I actually think that it's a mistake. And I believe that local testing teams should be able to move up. I think that the only way to challenge the people that are the literal best in magic that go across the world is for local testing teams to get better together. I also think that, like, that's not the explicit purpose. It is to give your teammate the best chance to win, whoever it is. Whoever is in the best chance, whoever is in the best seat. And I don't think that's a problem. I actually think that it encourages really good magic behavior to improve at magic. That being said, I think it encourages bad magic behavior too. The bad magic behavior, I believe, will be... I don't know if sussed out is the right word, Mason. But like... The people who do this wrong will get called out. So, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I just don't think it matters. Just like whatever. Like, I actually have a great anecdotal experience for this problem. So, back when PBDQs happened, right, it's very similar to RCQs, essentially, right? Like, you're playing a lot of the same people. Obviously, they're bigger ones, too. But, like, essentially the exact same system. And there would be events where, like, especially for like local RCQs or realistically a lot of your friends are in the tournaments. Right. And so no one entered a tournament just to scoop to people for the most part. Right. Like, like that's not a thing that people do, which I'll get to that in a second. But like, if let's say you're in a position where you can't make top eight and your friend can, then like, I think it's pretty friendly to be like, all right, I'm going to concede. Like I can never make it. You got pared down. Good luck in top eight. You know what I mean? And like, that's a thing that just like is a byproduct and you can't stop that sort of thing. Nor would I think anyone think that's scummy who's played like a good amount of tournament magic. Right. It's like, it'd be one thing if like we had the same record. Right. And I, and I was just like, Oh, whatever. I'm giving it to you. I'm like, maybe they feel like something weird there, but when I literally can't make it and you could make it, I don't think anyone who's reasonable would say can that's I, weird. Can I add to this? Cause like, sure. We, we actually had this situation come up recently where it's like, okay, because of the size of RCQs for a lot of areas, you might like have, hey, like we can draw into top eight because you're locked, but I'm not locked. It's like, well, my teammate's not locked and I'm going to play you because I'm locked. And it's mm-hmm. like, why is that a bad thing? Like, would you not do that for your friend? And mm-hmm. it's weird to me that people like act like it's a bad thing. Back in the old PTQ days, there was this, like, rule of paying it forward at PTQs where it's like, hey, like, we're in round five, you can't make it, and I can, will you scoop? I will tell all my friends that you scooped. It's like the Eric Froelich BS method in reverse, though, where, no, I'll call him out, it's fine. Where it's like, yeah, I'm gonna try to get my friend in, you should also try to get your friend in. It's not a problem, it's like, I'm already locked. And if I win, I'm the one seed. Like, that's a huge deal in the play-draw era of Magic. I, I agree for what it's worth. Like, you know, like, if I have definitely been in spots where I've played, I've also been in spots where there wasn't even a friend online. It was just like, this matchup's bad for me, and if we're in top Dude, eight, we're going to play real, in the top right? four. Yeah. Dude, it's I've like, I'm going to I'm gonna take two shots of beating you. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah like, and, and you should, right? It, like, if your goal is to win the tournament, I have two chances to beat you now. And, like, the matchup's really bad. I need those two chances. Like, that's... Dude, I, I literally did this at the RC... The R... The, not RCQ. The RPTQ that I won. I beat mm-hmm. a deck that is a bad matchup for me 
to knock it out of top eight. Yeah. Like, literally, I was like, no, I'm not drawing with you. I know you'd get in. I don't care. I need to beat you. I'm already locked. And I think that you have to understand, one, what is the person thinking about? And, like, they don't need to think about you. And this, I, I'm team no splits, Mason, after talking with Alex, former friend of the show, current friend of the show, Alexander Hain. His number one piece of advice to me is don't split. Like, just do it. It's helped me a lot. And I think that people, I, I had a, a recent 2K where people found out that I was the one that didn't split. And they stood behind me and were ridiculing me. As I won my match. How much more do you think I won? It was hundreds of dollars. For not splitting. And it's like. Just win your match. It doesn't matter. Like Mason said. It doesn't matter. If you win your match. None of it matters. To finally answer the question. Because I did a lot of some setup there. But my thoughts on it are. Think about how many matches there are in the tournament and how you have to even line up to be paired into a friend and for it to like matter, you know, like I was saying this at the beginning, like we have all those things that happen, but it was said that I didn't play that many friends and like high stake where like scooping actually mattered. Like play a lot of round three, round fours, but like just realistically speaking, only eight people make the top eight. Even if your friends are like some of the better ones in the area or whatever, you're just only going to have a couple of them in top eight in the tournament that's how it works every single time. So it's just not that big a deal. And also, it doesn't it doesn't matter if someone concedes to somebody and people get lucky to win tournaments all the time. And just because someone's conceded to you doesn't mean that you're gonna win the tournament. Yes, you got like a free round or whatever, but like it doesn't matter. And instead of talking about doing this sort of thing, people should just focus on playing magic better and dealing with it. And if someone else wants to spend thirty to fifty dollars so that they might have a chance to help their friend win run round, then let them. Who cares? Yeah, I, I actually think that, and I know this from literally playing way too many Magic tournaments, you are more likely to get a buy-in to top eight than you are to play your round against somebody for top, like a round against your friend for top eight. Like, it's it's way more likely that you just are one short for the cut and just get the, the literal buy into top eight. It, it, it actually happens way more often. Uh, underrated, overrated was the question of this. We're going to rapid fire this, Mason. Uh, and we're going to start with you. Leyland Binding, underrated or overrated? Underrated, every format. I, I agree. I actually got to play with this card this week on MTGO. I think it's super underrated. White Claw, Mason, do you even know what that is? I don't drink alcohol. White Leyline Binding, best card in the set for Dominaria United. I regret not putting it on my list. That's my... I don't, was, I don't drink it alcohol. It was on so. your list. Oh, it was? Yeah. Oh, I'm so good. I'm the goat. I don't drink <laughs> alcohol, though. White Claw, super overrated. You have Truly near you. Truly is the best seltzer, especially if you're counting macros, if you're, like, on a diet. White Claw sucks. It's bad. Don't drink it. Just go drink some Truly. Oh, using even odd to determine player draw, under or overrated. I'll go first on this one. So, I, I do think it's underrated, but I think that forcing your opponent to do it is overrated. Honestly, like, if you care about this, you should just offer even odd. And if they say high roll, just do high roll. 
I think that we've gotten to the point where enough people will just say yes to even on that you should just offer it first. Underrated. You should just do even odd. Saves the most time. I agree. So your girlfriend and I, I think, are the biggest proponents of this. I'm, is that even true, though? You had a whole podcast on this. So maybe I'm wrong. Oh, I thought you meant the next question. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I know. I had a podcast called Even Odds. So I know, like... but it's like, yes, it is the right way to do it. Just literally roll one dice. If you are the person rolling, have the other person call it and throw it. That's it. I mean, it's the whole. That's the whole interaction. If the opponent's feeling weird about this, you each roll one dice and they call. Sure. No, that's there's the same no cheating. Thing. So well, no, hold no, no. on. I've had this problem so many times. Yeah, go ahead. Because I think you're going to say well, what I'm going to say. Well, first off, for everyone at home who thinks two dice don't have an equal chance or even odds, you were wrong. I, I don't know how to say it nicely. You're just wrong. Go look it up. All right. Now that I've done that. If if, you, if some people are worried that if I'm the only one touching the dice, I can do something, which I would argue if I could do that, high roll isn't going to help you anyway, so just take the draw. And then my second thing is, if you're really worried about it, you each just roll a dice and have even odds because and have them call. Because I can only affect my dice, and your dice is random, and my dice doesn't matter. So that is the way to do it if you're worried about someone cheating you, but no one's cheating on the dice roll. It's just not a thing. Just stop. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> Next question is pineapple on pizza. I'll never yuck. Somebody's young, buddy. What about you? I think it's just rated. I, I don't know if it's under or over, which I know is bad. I'll say underrated just because some people like poo-poo without trying, but I I what think about, it's just What about adequately rated. have tried it because their wife likes it a thousand times? I mean, if you don't like it, you don't like it. That's fine. I'm, yeah, I'm just saying there's some I'm people gonna, who are I'm like antithetically against Because I said don't yuck somebody's yum, and then you still went off that tomato sauce is already sweet. So if your argument is sweet and savory, you're wrong. It's just not true. There's already something sweet on a pizza, and you just want something sweeter. You know what? There's lots of things. Brazilian pizza has corn. Like There's a lot of things that you should not put on pizza. If you want something quote-unquote savory, it is about your savory-sweet combination. And if you want it to be way more sweet, pineapple's a good option. I need you to record this, Mason. I said what? pineapple was a good option in front of you. And you yeah. didn't even say, wow, Spencer, that was huge growth by you. Uh, we already had this conversation a hundred times. All right. I, 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 can't, I can't do it again. <laughs> but it's never been recorded. Maybe people, not. People ask I'll, me this all the this. time. People think that I literally punch Mason in the face every time I see him because he will order pineapple on pizza. And I just don't even do it all the time. I just do it some of the times. Oh, I thought you were saying I punch you in the face. The no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Not every time. Just some of the times. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I've only done that once, Mason. Um, yeah. Sheldon and Redbuck. So I don't know if this question was about standard or modern i am not convinced in or sorry pioneer not modern i'm not convinced in pioneer i i don't even know that i want a four drop other than soren or chandra but i get that if that is true how shelter would be good i i think shelter is bad i think that it's like a i, I think it's the same problem that we just talked about earlier where it's like the removal doesn't line up. I 
I don't think this is a long-term solution to this format. I believe that... Like, if you wanted an answer to this, like, Soren does the same thing in almost all the matches where you want this. It's way worse in the mirror than any other 4-drop. It's worse than Hazret. It's worse than Soren. It's wor- Like, it is the worst one for the mirror. Like, by a lot. Just because of Liliana. That being said... You know, it's got it's got some good matchups. I, I would not do this one. What about you? Uh, it was underrated going into this weekend, and it'll probably be overrated going forward. Spencer here is doing what I call the misplaced ginger, which is when a card it is good on a weekend, but then long he, they understand that long term the card can't be good, so they say it's just bad right now. But Shieldred's probably good for another three days, and then people will figure it out, and then you move off Shieldred. Like, if I were to play a league right now, i play some Shieldreds until people figure out that you can just play more Dreadbores to beat Shieldreds. You know what I mean? Like, like that's just, like, the kind of the thing that happens. And this goes to our earlier conversation about building a deck for a weekend versus building a deck for, like, a format at large or whatever and, like, a theoretical endgame. Sometimes things are good for one weekend that are not good long-term. And that's okay. You can pick something that's good for a weekend. I think Shieldred was good for this weekend. I don't know if this will make the episode, but can, comparing me to Derek seems mean. <laughs> Love you, Derek. Derek was against Shieldred, too, on uh, before. He was with you. Here's the thing. Oh, man. I, I don't want to go this far into this. I, I think that it is... I think that it is in a four-drop option slot, but I think <laughs> the four-drops are, like, highly contested. I think when no one knows Shieldred's good, Shieldred's very good. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Like, for that, this weekend, no, it makes that, a lot of sense. Kind of, yeah, yeah. I feel like that was my answer, yeah. though, and then you compared I, I, me to Derek. But, but Derek did... But, like, what... That is something that Derek does all the time that he and I clash about is that Derek will say, sure, it was good for this weekend or it's going to be good for this weekend, but it's bad long term. So oh, you hold shouldn't on, do hold it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't think that's right in landing for what it's worth. I, I do believe yeah, yeah. that there are going to be weeks where like people literally forget about this card. Where yeah, like, with the removal, there's a way from yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It's where it's like, yeah. well, fine. Like if you're literally not going to play running volley, screw you. Like you're going to wait. That's actually not a good one. The removal is really bad against this card right now. You literally yeah. need, like... This was a thing in our, like, team chat I talked about earlier in the show where it's like, do we need, like, two-minute instant removal that's not Dreadbore? Like, do we just need to say, like, fine, you have a Teferi for a minute? Because, like, I'm willing to say that. So Yeah, it, it depends on this sort of thing. Also, like, this card's weirdly strong in the mirror when you don't expect it. Like, your Fable of the Mirror Breaker set up. Like, you think you're going to... Like, looting away two more cards to take six on that turn is a huge swing I, of life. I have, to, I have to actually think about this, because, like, the... What's the vampire's name? Bloodthirsty A Adversary? Yeah, I, that can hit five... No, like, it's pretty hard. All right, yeah, I, I think really Shadrid's, like, pretty good in the mirror. I think you're right. But it's well, going to be... Really it's going to get though. phased out. It, like, if you're no, on... No, no, it's not. It, no, hold on. It, it, it's, it's bigger than Chandra. <laughs> what? It's a four five. Right, but if you're on the draw, how do you have a board? I mean, how does either player have a board in the mirror? It's my question. You know what I mean? That's my point, though, is that both Liliana's are insane. This is just a 4-5 do-nothing. Yeah, it, I have it, not played versus Sheldred or with Sheldred I, yet. I, I have only watched Sheldred play. Yeah, so. so, like, I'm giving my opinion... On like, yeah, same. if Liliana is the most important card in the mirror, here are the thick cards. Like, this is one of the cards that I'm like, okay, like, this already made Kalidas look bad. It's already why I liked Hazaret more. You're saying it's a better Hazaret, but like, why do I, why does this live? 
I think that for what it's worth, it's not exactly a better Hazaret. And I maybe said that wrong earlier on the episode. I misspoke. It's a middle step between Hazaret and a grindy card. I, I agree. Where That's it's, true. Yeah. I agree with that. It's like, yeah. it's in between them, but it's like, okay, how do I have to play something that makes a token to make this live? Like, how do I make this card better than Kalidus, better than Sorin? Which, by the way, if we were answering the question, I would just play Sorin. I think Sorin is actually the answer in this slot. I think you're already locked into Chandra. I think Sorin is the other answer. I'll say this. I think one of the most important cards, and I have not played as much Red Black as... Derek has, and I probably, I bet you and I have played a similar amount. I, I would guess, with, and, I, and, I, and I've played, I I don't know, I've played a lot of Red Black. Man. I think I played more. Okay, Keep well, on. I haven't played as much with Liliana being out, but sure. I would guess that Bone Crusher Giant stock in the matchup has gone from good to great. Ooh, that's some hot. That's some hot sauce. I like that one. Yeah. Let's go to the next question. Sixty-one fourteen main side. No, just don't do it. Just literally don't do it. I think. There's not an option where this is right. Do, yeah, do not disagree. I, do not disagree. I'll be. Sorry. I mean, like there, there's like theoretically there is, but it's so much more like it's like the classic thing we said on the podcast where it's like, yes, decks like Team of Rhinos will have weekends where they are good and modern, but it's about clicking the button a thousand times of playing a tournament. And if I tell you to never do this, you will win significantly more than you ever will if you do this. So you should just not do, do this. I'll say this though, sixty-one fifteen. Uh, I've seen an amulet. I, I won stage for 61. <laughs> 15. 61, 15 and amulet, I think, is reasonable. Any deck that tutors a whole bunch, I'm down. Yeah. I, I, I've won stage with 61, 15. It's behind me. Uh, Dom played a pro tour with 62, 15. Wasn't there like a whole <laughs> thing about 62, 15? Or so was it 64? I think there was. It was 64. It was 64. It was 64 with the fetches, I believe. That was the absent aggro yeah, one. Yeah, that was the worst. All right. Uh, double sleeping Yorion. I. I believe this question only has happened because of my coverage of the uh, Game Grid Opens. I do not believe that you are legally allowed to double sleep Yurion. I think that if you pretend like you... No, you're wrong. I don't even care what you pull out here. I do not believe that you could reasonably shuffle this deck in a time frame that is randomized. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. I, I As a magic judge... As a magic player, I do not believe your deck is shuffled. I think that oh, we should check it. I think that you, if you double sleep your Yorion deck, you're cheating. I have always double sleeped my Yorion deck. I think you're I cheating, haven't. Mason. I'm calling you out. You're che- no, I for real though. I I do not believe that it is possible. Oh, you're doing it. Hold on, time out. I need to get I, I, everything back. Hold on. I, I literally do it all time the out. time, and time people out. freak Hold out. Hold on. Hold on. I need a. I did not realize what Mason was doing. That is shuffling. I I riffle shuffle I, my Yorion deck I all take, the time. I take everything back. I accuse you of being a cheater, and I'm wrong. I I did not know you did. You, did, did that. you really not know I could riffle shuffle the Yorion deck? Hold on. I know you can do that. People don't do it because their deck is too grand. That is I double sleep my deck. Uh, (laughs) I double sleep my deck. It doesn't get damaged. Hold on. It's like there are so many questions I have right now. I Uh, I also shuffle some like this the other way to get the bin down. That's our YouTube comments are gonna blow up. Hey YouTube, Uh, (laughs) 
I'm, I, this is so hard, by the way, doing it in the air. I gotta say, having it in the I air is really too. hard. I, I don't have a deck near me, but I could do it too. Uh, yeah. Hold on. Everything that I said, if you are willing to riffle shuffle any deck, that's shuffling. If you are being a little baby back whatever, and just like grabbing 20 cards and like clump shuffling, listen, Mason. You're six foot two and not single, but humans don't have your hands. And I'm the just number, saying. no, stop. I need, I need to be clear about something. Humans don't have your hands. And the number of humans that have tried to present to me a deck that they went clump shuffle, clump shuffle, clump shuffle, clump shuffle, cut deck. I'm like, that's not shuffled. How do you think it's shuffled? Like, come on. I'm so mad. I, I, I will not allow you to answer this question. Mason does this right. He is riffle shuffling his 80-card deck. If you do that, that's shuffling. Like, you are clearly shuffling your deck. If your hands aren't that big, stop playing Yurion. I will say this. There's a reason why I have Carpal Tunnel probably in this wrist. <laughs> but yeah. So man, you did this and I was like, I have to take everything I said back. Like, yeah. Uh, no human uh, has ever done that with their $3,000 magic deck to me. Oh yeah. I do it with my legacy deck too, baby. All the That's time. <laughs> so we don't have any Patreon questions this week because it's all Patreon questions. But uh, Ace Martinez says, keep up the great work. I really appreciate the dedication you all do to making these videos. Mason, I appreciate your dedication, man. Like, I appreciate yours. Like, how long? Are we like, are we six years now? Seven years now together? It's got to be six. 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 It's yeah, six. it's got to yeah, be I six, right? about it. I was thinking about it, yeah. I love you, man. Okay, man. I, I appreciate it. In the future, if you could, like, wrap your wrap in a wrap so that it's not, like, falling apart on the podcast. And no. Me. No, it's, it's distracting me. It's like a magician. It Like, you, know, you look over here. <laughs> Share the rest of the network, whether it be Sam Black's amazing podcast drafting archetypes or the Common Knowledge Podcast. They're actually recording their set review late this time. This is... Maybe the best popper set of all time for common knowledge. Literally, Mason, five years ago, if I were to say what was the best deck, you would say, like, is it Blitz? Was the best card in that? Kiln Fiend. What have I told you? This set had a Kiln Fiend with Kicker that returned a card to your opponent's hand. Oh, I didn't realize that was in the set. That's literally a card in this set. That's sick. And then additionally, there's a plus two, minus two, which doesn't kill half the cards in that deck. Check out that podcast as well as this podcast. Like, sub, review, and comment. And people can find me at Spendthing H on Twitter. They can find me on YouTube here or on He's a Game Media. Mason, we're going to find you find me here each and every week you can find me over at twitch.tv slash the mason clark you can find me over at twitter at mason e clark you can find me on card kingdom each and every week writing about stuff this week all about 
modern decks that got upgraded from Dominar United. I got Goblins. We got Merfolk. Spencer Merfolk got 15th in the challenge. Get ready. And let's go. I'm a fish boy. Mason, yeah. do you know that I have never not cashed an SCG with fish? Yeah, but like, come on. That was like in the year of 2011, you know? Back when fish at least had some playable cards. I don't know they if that's true. I, I think ever. that my last, I don't know when, when I did, I literally have 100% cash with like all of my day two decks outside of, you know, Soul Tie were fish decks. Just crushed it. Let's go fish. Let's go fish. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys all next time with another episode of the Constructive Criticism Podcast.